Good evening. It is wonderful to be together on a Sunday evening and worship God. It's truly a blessing. If you're a guest, we are thankful that you're here. It encourages us that you're here. I want to encourage all of us to be mindful and prayerful each day this week for the campaign that's taking place in Marlington, West Virginia, the Vacation Bible School campaign, and pray for that good small church there. And uh, let's, let's pray that very much great spiritual good would come out of this endeavor. Also, be praying about Vacation Bible School. It is just around the corner, and it is a wonderful way to invest in the life of our youth, to plant seeds that hopefully would grow uh, throughout their life and would make a difference in this community for years and years to come and perhaps even touch entire families by showing love of Christ to their children. A dear Abby column several years ago told about the struggles of a guy that was not just having a bad day, he was having a, a bad week. His name is R.D. Jones, and I don't have a back screen, so I'm going to struggle to stay with you. He said on Monday, he said, R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale. Phone 948-0707 after 7 p.m. and ask for Miss Kelly, who lives with him cheap. Well, being a small town, that didn't go over real well. That created a lot of gossip, and so he insisted that they correct their mistake on Tuesday, and so the Tuesday's paper read with this correction. Notice, we regret having aired in R.D. Jones's ad yesterday. It should have read, one sewing machine for sale, cheap. Phone 9580707 and ask for Mrs. Kelly, who lives with him after 7 p.m. <laughs> that didn't go over very well either. That didn't squelch the talk at all. And so the, the next day they corrected it except for they misspelled one word. And so it read like this. Notice, R.D. Jones has informed us that he received several annoying telephone calls because of the error we made in his classified ad yesterday. His ad stands corrected as followed. For sale, R.D. Jones has one sewing machine for sale cheap. Phone 948-0707. And ask for Mrs. Kelly who loves with him. <laughs> well, the next day it was corrected very simply this way. Notice, I, R.D. Jones, have no sewing machine for sale. I smashed it. Don't call 948-0707. This telephone has been disconnected. I've not been carrying on with Mrs. Kelly. Until yesterday, she was my housekeeper, but she quit. <laughs> you know, all of us have had bad days. Maybe we've had, like this poor guy, a bad week. And yet, in the big picture, in the big scope of things, we realize that really his day and his week wasn't really all that bad. Because there can be some really tough things that happen in life and there can be a lot of pain and there can stem out of sickness and, and out of disease and out of tragedy and, and etc. And then mixed into that discussion is evil. And then mixed in all of that is where's a loving God in this? If God truly is a loving God, why would he allow pain and suffering and evil and sickness and things like this? And these are very good questions that, that we definitely ought to address. You know, when we did our 12 questions campaign, it was interesting that the number one question that individuals ask, when we ask the question, if you ask God one question, what would it be? Their answer was about why God allows suffering. Even 
here when we look at George Barna several years ago and all the research that he did when he said, if you ask God one question and know that he would answer that question, what would his, what would your question be? And the top response in George Barna's research is, why is there pain and suffering in the world? You know, over the last couple of years, there have been a lot of 12 question type campaigns and each one that I've heard about that is the same number one question over and over. Why does God allow pain and suffering and evil to even exist? If he's all powerful, if he's all knowing, and if he's all loving, why doesn't he just not allow this to happen? Look, I don't know if we can know all of the reasons why, but I know this, we should know at least the things that God tells us. And so in this, let's begin with the very idea of why suffering with a spotlight on the word why. Are we even allowed to ask God that? Are we allowed to ask God why he would allow something to happen or not to happen? I think about visiting a woman who, you know, and I, and I just, you just throw out these phrases sometime and, and they are what they are. But, you know, you see somebody, you say they just couldn't be any more faithful. Well, this was that type of lady. She was the, the ladies' Bible class teacher in, in that particular congregation. She had just been a rock of an example all through the years. And because she suffered with crippling arthritis, and yet she continued to always be faithful, she was an example that so many people spoke of on a regular basis of she means a lot in my faith, by the way she encourages me, by the way that she lives. That kind of lady. I just happened, maybe it wasn't by happenstance, maybe it was the will of God, but I just, I, I went into her hospital room as a doctor was leaving. As I walked in, she was stunned. She was crying. I did not <clears throat> know until I walked in that the doctor had just given her some horrible news. She wasn't going to live very much longer. And through her tears, she looked up at me and, and she says, why? Why, David? Why would God allow this to happen to me? And she cried a little bit and then she just got stoic for a moment. And she said, I can't believe I would ever say that. Please forgive me. Please ask God to forgive me. I should have never asked God why. And so we talked for the next few minutes about, can you ask God why? When we look at the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk saw the individuals that were wicked causing great violence and injury to those that were righteous. In the first few verses, he asked God why. He wanted to know why God was showing them, the righteous, all of this violence. Job was a very righteous man and went through severe losses, 10 children, loss of health, loss of possessions, loss of a supportive wife. In Job, the 10th chapter, he cried out that he wanted to know why God was contending with him in this way. And the only perfect man that's ever lived and remained perfect even through what I'm about to remind you of, he hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The best I can see in Scripture, God never has a problem with us asking Him why about anything. As long as we did what all three of those men did, when they asked why, they turned to God for the answer. Habakkuk went and waited on the ramport, the high place for an answer. He even says that God would correct me. 
He was humble enough to even say, God, I'm sure that what I've been thinking is probably wrong, but I'm still going to ask you, but I want to see what your answer is. Jesus Christ didn't turn his back on God and God's will to say, why have you forsaken me? I'm calling 10,000 angels and I'm coming off this cross. He stayed on the cross as he asked why. And Job, what a man of faith. By the end of the book, his four lousy friends that have accused him of everything. In essence, what God says, the only way I'm going to forgive you guys is if you can get Job to pray for you. Job stayed with God, even through his doubts. We're going to have times of doubt. We're going to have times of asking why. But what we must do is continually look to and toward God all during those times. Why suffering? Let's put the highlight or the spotlight on the word suffering for just a moment. I'd like for you to think about this idea of suffering and to think about why God would allow this to happen. In one sense, we have to rest upon just the meditation and thought of if God was not going to create us in a way that we could suffer, what would have been his other option? God could have created us more like a robot. He could have created us without free will and we could live without suffering. But instead he chose to create us with free will. And with that freedom to choose comes the freedom to choose relationship. With that freedom of relationship or choosing relationship comes also the opportunity for love and hate. Comes also the opportunity sometimes for peacefulness, but sometimes for pain. You see, within this freedom of will comes the opportunity of relationship, opportunity of emotion, opportunity of choice. You take away the freedom of choice, you take away the opportunity of relationship, you take away emotion, and you take away, of course, that idea of choice. Now the person is more programmed. We know what God chose. God chose to create us so that we could love him. You know, when we study back at the end of Genesis 1 and going to Genesis 2, and a few different times we learn that we are made after the image of God. Now, yes, it's true that as we oftentimes say, God, God breathed into us a soul. And so that's one way that we're after the image of God. But another way that we're after the image of God is that we are created to choose. Just like God has choice, we have choice. And that's really amazing. Now, along with that, I'd like for you to realize that we also, in the midst of times of suffering, we also have the freedom to choose what our response will be. Not that long ago, we talked about this, and so I'm not going to camp out on this, but I need to remind you of this because it's important in this particular study. We oftentimes think that A equals C, and A is what happens to us in life, and C is our life. But the truth is, A plus B equals C. What happens to us plus how we respond to it equals our life. And so what happens to us? Well, in this particular lesson, we're talking about sometime in life, we're going to have painful episodes to take place in our life. We're going to have suffering in our life. So now plus B. During the times of suffering in our life, what is our response going to be? Because equals, that's going to be our life. 
Our life is not what happens to us. Our life is how we respond to what happens to us. You remember that Frank or Victor Frankel, he is a psychologist that was highly respected. He was a Jewish psychologist that worked in the Nazi concentration camps as a prisoner. And so what he noticed was that he noticed that it didn't matter how physically fit an individual was when they came into the concentration camps that, that determined whether or not they did well in those stressful situations where they lived in the shadow of death. Instead, he, he realized that it was more about how a person responded to this instead of where they were. And so this is what he says about this. He says, between stimulus... That's what happens to you. And response, there is a space. And in that space is the power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. You've heard me say this before. It's like, it's like holding a, a remote control that controls life. And something happens to you. And maybe it's a coworker that they just say something that rubs you the wrong way. And you're about to react. Maybe you ought to just press the pause button and, and step out for just a moment and say, you know what? They hurt me just then. But instead of react, I've got this moment to choose. I'm going to choose a response that would be godly. God's taught me to turn the other cheek. God's taught me a soft answer turns away wrath. God's taught me to suffer long and be kind. Let me press the play button now, and instead of, instead of me living on a horizontal plane, let me live on a vertical plane where now what I'm about to give to you is what God has given to me. You see, it's powerful when we realize that even in the midst of our suffering, we still have the power to choose. It's a part of our free will that literally determines what kind of life that we are going to live. I know that a popular way that we phrase it today is, you know, you can live as a victim. Well, we didn't say it that way, but this is talking about the same thing. You can take out your freedom to choose and you can pretend that it's not there and you can be the victim every time. Or you can realize that one of the ways that God has made us is that he has given us every time the opportunity to choose how we will respond. And in that choice becomes our life. And, and so it, it's beautiful when, when we see it in that way. And, and so let's, let's look back now at, at this idea of suffering again. And I want you to think of a few reasons why we suffer on this earth. Number one, we suffer on this earth because this body that we're living in and the earth that we live on is all temporary. This earth that we're living on is winding down. This body is aging and it's only here for a little while and it vanishes away. And anytime we start thinking and conducting our life's expectations based upon we're in a perfect earth and we're in a body that's perfect and it's just going to go on and on, we're setting ourselves up for failure and disappointment. Because neither of those things are true. As a matter of fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, I want you to notice this passage of scripture here, how he strongly links the idea of the temporary body 
with the burdens and sufferings that go along with this. Look at 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. For we know that our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. And pause there. That's, that's a powerful way to illustrate this temporary body, isn't it? He calls it a tent. We all know in our mind's eye on this earth what a permanent structure looks like, and we know what a tent looks like. And you know, most of us will look at a tent and say, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to stay there like many nights. I, you know, some of you like to camp out. Maybe you want to stay a few weeks, but most of us say two nights is fine with me. One night's fine with me. I don't know. Maybe I'd just rather stay in the permanent structure. I kind of like the air condition. And so, you know, you, you look at it, and the idea is your average person, your average person would never look at the tent and say, that's permanent home right there. But think how many people look at this temporary home and they have a mindset, they have an attitude, it's an it's a intellectual attitude, but it's flawed. But they have an attitude toward life that says, hey, I expect this to be permanent. And then when it doesn't play out permanent, all of a sudden they start doubting their faith, they start, they start doubting the, the very purpose in life and etc. Well, it's not so much now, maybe you ought to question God. You see, the problem now is I haven't been listening to God. God has been telling us all along that this body is temporary. And so, it, like we we're saying, it's not wrong to ask God why, as long as we listen to the answers he gives. And so, notice as we keep reading here, the idea of your, your soul is going to move. In other words, you live in a tent right now, and when you die, your soul is going to move. You remember 1 Corinthians 15, the paragraph starts at verse 50, that talks about in the end, that flesh and blood's not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so when that resurrection is going to come, we're going to be given a new body. So this soul right now lives in this tent. But in that great resurrection, the soul is going to move into a more permanent body. And so uh, I'll mention verse 2 here. Notice for in this we groan. Talking about in this tent, there's going to be groans. And then when you skip down, look at verse 4. For we who are in this tent groan. Why? We're being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, the mortality may be swallowed up by life. And so when we go back now and look at this A plus B equals C again, and we think about, okay, what, with the information that's just been given, what should be our response? We're listening to God. God, why do you allow suffering? I don't see why you allow my body to get sick, God. And God would say, your body has to get sick one day. Like you're designed to get sick one day. Like you're, you're not designed to live forever. Like you will get so sick one day, you will die. Everybody that you know, unless an accident or tragedy happens first. Well, God, how, how do you want me to respond to that? Well, he speaks all throughout scriptures of the way that we ought to respond to that. You remember Psalm 90? In Psalm 90 and verse 12, he says... So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now the idea of numbering our days here, remember it's not the idea of, hey, let me try to guess how many days I have left. Let me find the soothsayer that can tell the future for me. He's saying, know that your days are limited so that you will appreciate each one of them. You know, as a rule of thumb, a person will go out and spend cash at a slower rate than they purchase things with a credit card. Why? 
Because when they're holding cash, they know how much they have left. And as the stack of cash gets thinner, they begin to say, I better be careful. I I only have $50 left and, and I need to make this stretch out a little bit. And so they start valuing the dollars the less they have. Now in wisdom, what we ought to do is be able to say, you know what? I want to value every dollar. But a lot of time we don't do that. Now what about time? A lot, about, a lot of time, we with our time, we don't value our days until something happens. And it makes us realize, you know, I may not have that many more days. And then we begin to value each day. Well, what should our response be to the fact that we will live a limited number of days? The response is, know that and value them that you may gain a heart of wisdom. How would you live if you only knew you had a few days left? If God wanted right now to just tell everybody in here how many numbers of days you have left, he could. God knows because God can see the future just as clearly as he can see the past. And so he could just literally ramble a number off for every person here and it would be how many days you have left. When you heard your number, what would that make you think of? Would that make you think each day of, wow, I I better do more to redeem and to make these days count. And that's what we do when we recognize that we're on this earth for a temporary period of time. Remember Ephesians, the fifth chapter is a New Testament teaching on this. And he says in verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Are, Are you wise? Are you buying back this time? Do you count it of worth? Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So now in this, we see really two things. What's your response going to be? We're living on an earth where we're going to have a limited number of days and they'll be full of suffering. What should my response be to that? Not only should I number the days and be wise with the days, but number two, I ought to understand what the will of God is. Now that's huge. What does God want me to do with these days? And what if, however many days we have left, we say, you know what my number one priority is each day? I don't know how many days I have left, but I'm going to value each one and I'm going to make sure that I do the will of God each day. That's beautiful. That is an awesome response to the number of days that I have left. Now, when we think about why suffering again, I'd like to also remind you of Galatians, the sixth chapter, verse seven of that law of sowing and reaping. Do not be deceived. We can be lied about, lied to about this and can actually believe the lies, but God is not mocked. You're you're not going to get through and look and say, you know, God was wrong on that. He's not going to be wrong on this. What is it? Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Back in Genesis, the first chapter, we learned that if you put a kernel of corn in the ground and it grows and produces, it will always produce corn every time. There's no exception to that. There has never, out of the billions and billions and billions of kernels of corn going in the ground, not one has ever produced a watermelon. You can sow sin in your life and it will never, there's never been an exception to this. It will never grow something good out of your life. We can choose to bring negative things into our life by choosing to sow negative things into our life. And so when we say, why do we have pain and suffering? Now, are you listening? I'm not saying all the pain and suffering that you have in your life is because of your sin. That's not true. Remember in John the ninth chapter, the blind man He was there, the the apostles saw the blind man and they asked Jesus, who sinned? This man or his his parents? 
In other words, their idea was, hey, everything bad that happens in life, you've got to be able to attach it to somebody's sin. And Jesus made it clear that this man's not blind because of his parents or him. I am not suggesting to you that the Bible teaches everything that happens bad in your life is because of sin. That's not true. But I am suggesting to you that there are a lot of things that happen bad in our life because of our sin. That's true. It's called the law of sowing and reaping. But also the law of sowing and reaping is a lot broader than just one individual. In other words, you can sow something that's wrong, but the problem is like you plant one kernel of corn and you get a lot of kernels of corn, one stalk with several ears. Each ear has hundreds of kernels of corn on it. You say, wow, not only did that produce after its kind, it produced a lot more than what was put in the ground. We sow sin, it will produce after its kind. We put something sinful and negative into the ground, something bad and negative is going to come out. And the problem is, it's going to come out a lot more than what we put in. And because of that, the second thing I need to learn about this under bad choices is that our sin almost always hurts more than just us. A lot of the time, what we suffer in this earth, we suffer because of other people's sin. And it's simply because of the law of sowing and reaping. Doesn't it break your heart to know that as a nation, just this weekend, we've experienced the largest mass shooting in America? That's horrible. There are over 50 individuals dead. There are over 50 wounded. And they're all reaping one man's sin. The suffering was because a man chose to do evil. That's the law of sowing and reaping. A second thing, and we've already touched on this, but I, I just want to remind you when we, we start trying to list them here. So sometimes it's called a bad choices, but it's also sometimes of a temporal nature. And in Ecclesiastes 12 in verse 5, and, and if you're not familiar with this passage, Ecclesiastes 12, it's, it's really a, a beautiful and kind of sadly realistic, very realistic poem. And it's the poem about us aging. And, and so finally, in the midst of this poem about our physical bodies aging, this is the last half of verse 5. He says, because man goes to his long home, and this is King James on this particular verse, man goes to his long home and the mourners go about the streets. I like that description because it paints a picture of, of the both realities. And, and one reality is, what are we living for? If we are wise and we take it to heart, we are living for that eternal home. It's the long home. This earth has never been intended to be a long home. And so we're living for that long home. And, and just like yesterday, I, I went to the graveside of, of a dear friend. And this verse is true. He went to his long home. You know what the mourners did? We went back to our daily life mourning. We carry the burden. We carry the sorrow. Why? Because this body is temporary. Death is an enemy that we deal with. And we will as long and until we pass over into the long home. 
So then the question is, which one is governing your life? Have you a, a flawed fallacy that you think this earth is it and this earth is perfect and you're living for this earth? Or do you realize that this earth is just a short period of time and ultimately what we're living for is to be with the Lord for an eternity? I'm thinking this moment, what would you want if I were you or you were me? I think we'll pause right here and we'll pick up here next week. Because what I'd like to do is spend several minutes on evil. But it would keep us to after the hour if we did that. And so will you hang on to this and next week let's give a quick review of suffering. And then with that quick review, let's go in and talk about evil. Because there are a lot of things said that just aren't right about evil. And let's look at some realities next week about what is evil and how can we cope with it? How can we overcome it? Why would a loving God even allow evil to exist? As we think about all this, we're about to sing a song of invitation. And it's the opportunity for you to think about your B. A plus B equals C. What's your response going to be? What has happened to you? What's happened to you has happened to all of us. We're sinners. What's your response going to be to you being a sinner? You can say, well, that's just my life. A equals C. It doesn't have to just be your life. Because of what God has done for us, we can respond. Free will, we have the choice. Because of God's grace and His mercy, look what has been offered to us. I want to encourage you to realize that God loves you and He wants to walk with you through anything that you walk through. Through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, thou comfort me. Don't try to walk through this earth alone. You'll be misguided and your pain will have no purpose. And you're going to miss the very purpose for which you were created. But when we walk through this earth with the Lord, we'll have strength to get through any pain. And there can be good things come even out of our pain. And we will have found our purpose for now and for eternity. If you're not a child of God and you're ready to be immersed in Christ or be restored, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.